Hello, and welcome to On Staging, a community theater-focused discussion podcast highlighting the development and staging of community theater productions in Calgary and surrounding area. I'm Kyle Gould, and today I'm joined by Scorpio Theater's Artistic Director and Vice President, Ted Locke, and Stuart Bentley, who more importantly for today's discussion, Ted Locke is the director, and Stuart, one of the performers in Scorpio's current running production of Sylvia. Ted and Stuart... Welcome to the show. Hello. Yes, hello. So, about Sylvia. Greg is a man of middle age, a restless, empty nester, tired of his job in finance and looking for meaning in his life. Sylvia is an exuberant lab poodle mix, astray and looking for a new home. And then they meet in the park. It is love at first sight. But Greg's wife, Kate, is looking forward to some independence now that the couple no longer has children to care for and is less than thrilled about the clever and coquettish canine who jumps, slobbers, sits on her couch and takes Greg's attention away from his marriage. It is said to be a touching and hilarious love story running from January 12th to 27th, 2024 here at the Pump House Theatre. It's already begun and now we're going to talk about how it all came to be. So what is this play to you and why should audiences come see it? When Stuart, when you first kind of pitched it to me, I, uh, when I was that? In, oh gosh, when would that have been? It would have been about a year ago, probably. About a year ago, Stuart pitched it. We were looking for a show to do something small, uh, you know, uh, only a few actors. And, uh, when I first read it, what really resonated with me was that as much as it is a story about a man and his dog, it's really not. It's really the story about a marriage in trouble Mm -hmm. and about a couple who, as they've grown accustomed to each other and sort of hit this, I guess, lull in their life. Greg started to get dissatisfied. He's looking for meaning in his life now. He's bored at his job. It's all the classic signs of that, you know, midlife crisis kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, And the big thing that I took away when I first read the script is I was like, wow, this is a couple that just does not talk to each other anymore at all. Like they talk at each other, but definitely not to each other. Right. And I've, I've been in relationships myself over the years, and the biggest issue there is, has always been, yeah, like when the communication starts to fail. And, and throughout the show, once he finds Sylvia, you kind of see, like, as the show keeps going, his relationship with the dog builds way more than the relationship with his wife. I mean, he starts confiding in Sylvia about all the problems and stuff that he's having at work and in life. And I mean, she's just a dog, man. She can't really <laughs> provide you with any kind of uh, uh, advice or or like uh, actual connection in life, aside from the wonderful connection we have with our pets. But I think the show kind of really shows uh, a cautionary tale of what it could be like if you really fall too deep into that connection or that relationship with just your animal and you start to treat it like a peep, a person. Like we all have, uh, I don't know if you have any pets or anything, Kyle. No, I'm deadly allergic to everything. So I don't have any pets. Okay. Well, I, I grew up always as like a cat person. Yep. Uh, and got dogs, uh, not really foisted on me. So I guess I'm a little bit more like Kate in this regard is that I've always had a dog in a life, but it's been like somebody else's dog. So it's like, you know, I've, oh, I love kids, but you know, they're other people's. That's my favorite part about kids is I can just give them back and here you go. Same kind of thing with dogs until recently. And, uh, you know, we all have these things where we give dogs voices, or we, you know, we talk to them and we answer ourselves. And and what we kind of see in the shows, I really wanted to I was excited to explore the idea of, okay, what's it like when someone puts way too much? Wow. So it sounds like you were very excited about this production as soon as you've read it. Yeah. Stuart. Yeah. How did you come upon Sylvia to want to pitch it to Ted and to Scorpio? This would be in the late 1990s. 
Uh, I was in Toronto for a business uh, training session with the company I was with at the time. They had brought a bunch of computer people from their locations across the country. And every time we did this every six months, they would do some kind of event for us. They would take us to medieval nights or we'd go to a giant arcade uh, or they'd get a magician or you know something like that in comedians. Well, this night they decided to take us to the theater. Oh, wow. So you imagine there's a bunch of mostly, mostly young guys, a few gals in their 20s for the most part, and they were going, theater, I don't want to go to the theater. And I was like thrilled mm-hmm. because I've been you know doing this forever. And uh, at that time, there was a Stage West in Toronto. And so they took us to see Stage West, great dinner theater, and the play was Sylvia. Oh, wow. And uh, the, at that time, the role of, and I'd never heard of the play before. Which is surprising because, I mean, Sarah Jessica Parker did the show on Broadway in 1996 when it debuted. So yeah, so this it was did about have some three, acclaim. But. Yeah, this was about three years later, but I've never paid attention to what's on Broadway. I really, right. it's never been my thing. Uh, I've loved to go there and see shows, and I know people that go twice a year, so yeah. <laughs> every year, and they're always talking, and they know all the names of all the actors in all the musicals. And it's true. And that's over the top for me. I'm like, I can't believe it. In this community theater society we live in, yeah. uh, we definitely are surrounded by people who love theater yeah. to the to, to, mm-hmm. to the nth degree. Yeah. And then there are people who know nothing about it at all, which is kind of nice about the whole community component of it. Right. So when I saw the show, we get the, you know, the, the program, you sit down at your table and I was thrilled because I just figured, well, it's going to be a bunch, you know, a bunch of Toronto actors that I don't know. It doesn't matter. But the role of Sylvia was being played by Margot Kidder. Oh, wow. Famous Canadian actress, born in Yellowknife, went on to play Lois Lane in the Christopher Reeve Superman films mm-hmm. and, you know, TV series and a bunch of different things. She was funny. It was a delight. It was heartbreaking, as the story is. Anybody that owns a pet, you know, it's a, it's a finite time. We have friends on Facebook every day talking about this was the day they had to say goodbye to Fluffy or Spot. And so, you know, that figures into the telling of any story about an animal. And that's part of the healing of the marriage in some ways. But it was so good. And I came back just fired up that I would love to one day do this. I've had a script for it for years. I've pitched it to many community theater companies. How many? Like just a number off the top of your head? Calgary, probably four or five. Four or five. That's wild okay never been picked up yeah and so when we wanted to do this with scorpio we were in a you know we are still climbing out of the um out of the pit of our financial woes and we're getting much closer to being on our feet again but we weren't quite in a position we could do this by ourselves and we wanted to bring on another theater company that had a proven marketing setup that had a great audience that's there all the time that they could hopefully market it as a co-production yeah so this is marketed as a co-production right. with morpheus theater yeah what does that mean what did morpheus do well they've helped us with advertising through the good graces of sean anderson and morpheus theater we were able to piggyback onto their auditions i came in along with the other directors uh wayne and nicola who were doing shows with uh, morpheus this season that's and right we all sat together and we all went through and we just did the audition process all together, selected all the actors, fought amongst ourselves for who we wanted. Uh, very cordial, I, I must say, mm-hmm. uh, especially given the fact that some of the productions were overlapping. So it was like, well, if you really need this person, I can't really 
<laughs> take them from you because I don't, I've oh, got a wow. small group of people, you know, so it, it was all sort of the typical infighting that happens along with all Who the Who had precedence in, in that? Did you, did you allow Wayne to have precedence or, or Nicola? Be, like, because uh, it, your it, show was going up middle of that pack and rehearsals were all going to be on top of each other. How did you plan? How did you manage uh, it, that? It was a very intricate scheduling process made a lot easier by Sean Anderson at Morpheus Theater. Uh, I've got spreadsheets upon spreadsheets for when we had the uh, the auditions of like, right. okay, yeah, we want to have this person come in and read and this person come in and read. And uh, there was so much overlap amongst all the shows. What what was a good saving grace for mine is I only needed four actors, right? which is remarkably small for a community theater production yeah. in Calgary, is it? Compared uh, to the other two shows, especially. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, FRC, they're doing a, a chorus line right now, which is a, a huge cast because it's a massive musical. And uh, the Peacock season, which Stuart is also in, which is opening up uh, after we finish right. our run, has a, a fairly large cast, I think, too. Yeah, I, I think yeah. Yeah, there's like a... I haven't counted, but I think it's somewhere in the... 12, 12 to, to 14, 16, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then I'm sitting here with four. Yes. So <laughs> it made it a lot easier. What also made it a bit easier was several of the people that I ended up going with to cast just because of availability and other prior commitments and stuff, they weren't able to be in the other shows. So I got right. extremely lucky. Oh, good. That I was able to get all of my first picks for who I wanted for my show. Wow, that's wonderful. Which almost never happens. So I was very, very blessed to, very to be working with Sean Anderson. And then just on the production side, I mean... Helping uh, provide funds, logistics, bodies, butts uh, to get volunteers stuff, for front of house yeah, all arranged. Load in right. uh, the box office coordination and such. That was all helped and handled through Morpheus. So they've they've really been an amazing partner in this show. Yeah, I, they I, are, I cannot thank them enough. They're a foundational member of uh, Calgary Community Theater. Definitely ensure the longevity and establishment and formation of many many companies in Calgary. It's been pretty much a blessing. Well, they've they've built a very steady, very well-oiled marketing and operations team for many, many years. So it's it's a well-designed system that works great. They consistently put people in their houses for all of their shows, and it's something that many community theaters don't have that organizational prowess to handle. Morpheus is one of the theater companies I presented that script to about six years ago. Oh, no. And now they're co-proing it with you. <laughs> yeah, so I was happy that it, that at least happened. Yeah, so any lingering resentment of the, the no, decline on your no, show? No, none whatsoever. <laughs> I was actually approached uh, that they were considering doing it for either the next season or the season after. And they said, if you'd be interested in directing it, we'd, we'd be interested in having you on your passionate about the show. Yeah. Paige Fossheim had read it and, you know, called me the next day and said, you made me cry and I uh, love the play. Yep. And yeah, it's not typical Morpheus fair. And I think that's probably why it never was picked up. Yeah. There's some language and typically you're not going to hear very salty language in a Morpheus production. Potentially. Yep. Definitely. It definitely does fit that third show of the season benchmark that they usually put into yeah. like no sex, please. We're British or they put, um, calendar girls in. It can fit into that sort of. Well, no thing. sex has sort of titillating exactly. situations, but there's no salty language. You're not, <laughs> you're not going to hear sailor talk at ad nauseum. And, and Sylvia has a mouth on her. She's a stray dog. Yes. So, yeah. That's a delight. Okay, so you pitched this show for many years, and when you finally brought it to Scorpio, what, was that a formal process? Was, were there other shows that were being considered at that time? I have submitted it to three different 
artistic directors at Scorpio over the oh, years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's one of the five companies you've done. And but the time th- just wasn't there. Yeah, but for this one here, when you submitted it, I mean, the two guys who kind of make some of the decisions, you're the vice president of Scorpio, you're the artistic director for Scorpio. There's other people on the board as well. Were there other shows considered at that time? Or was it principally, you know what, this is the one, this is great, it's only a forehander, we should be good? I pitched it as being a simple show, easy to stage, virtually no set, and... It would be inexpensive to do, plus being a very, very good show that would make people laugh and cry. And think. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, I mean, it was it, it was one of several shows that were pitched, but to be completely honest, the, one of the big reasons we went with this show specifically was uh, for some of the reasons Stuart had just said, was that, you know, the uh, production costs that we would have to incur or that we might need to uh, co-pro with another company would be a lot smaller because of the just the smaller nature of the show. And I wanted to find something that would be a little more intimate and a little more personable and feel different, I guess. You know, I mean, I'm a fan of musicals and of uh, comedies, dramas, tragedies, that kind of thing. But I wanted to find something that would be a little more emotionally lighthearted and uplifting, even though it's... It's a pretty big tearjerker at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely wanted to find something that would have a little more resonance, I felt, and that wouldn't be, be a little too political or too risque to do because we wanted to try to rebuild our audience. And I felt like a slightly more traditional kind of tragic comedy of sorts would be a, a, a little I don't know bit... if it's tragic comedy, but it's, it's <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very heartwarming. It really is a heartwarming show. Yeah. So Moby Dick in 2019 was your first kick at directing with Scorpio? Uh, I began with Mob Hit Productions, which okay. was a, a semi-pro company, no longer around now. If any of the listeners are of an age that they remember the the great flood of 2013, that kind of spelled the end of, of Mob Hit during that time. We were in the Arata Opera Center, and when the flood happened, the building wasn't flooded or damaged with water, but it was in the mandatory evacuation zone. No, oh, okay. And unfortunately, that happened right around the time of our big, huge New Works Festival. And so we'd already committed everything into it. And then unfortunately, the company folded shortly thereafter just due to the finances of after the flood. But I'd been directing since about 2006 or seven. I think it started with Mob Hit. Moby Dick was my first foray with Scorpio Theater. First real big show in a long time. And I was really excited about it. So Right. And then, and then we had a whole pandemic happen between 2019 and now. What have you learned or what have you gained that's been different for as a director that you've used and implemented in Sylvia? that's been different for you that you've picked up over all the years of your directing? Interestingly enough, uh, the other night at the end of the show, Snijana came up and talked to me. She, uh, Snijana uh, plays our, uh, our dog, Sylvia, in the show. And she mentioned to me that one thing she really loved and appreciated in rehearsals was that I would take the time out to ask how it felt for the actors. And that's something I picked up from Mob Hit, and I've really implemented that a lot in my rehearsal process. I try to be as collaborative a director as possible. What does that mean? I cast these people in these roles because I could see something that they could bring to the table. And for me as a director, part of my job is, yes, I, I look at it as I need to be kind of the Google machine. I need to know all the answers for the script of like people, places, things, what's this line referencing, what's this sort of thing referencing. And so I focus on kind of being able to provide the background information for the actors. And what I want them to do, when I ask them, how did that feel at the end, is I want to make sure that they felt comfortable in what they were acting or presenting 
in the scene. You want me to do it this way, but I don't feel comfortable doing it this way. It doesn't seem to feel right, which sounds so nebulous, but I've been an actor too. So I kind of know what it's like when a director wants you to do something and you're like, you don't understand why you're being asked to do it or why you have to present it this way when you feel like, oh, but if I did it this way, it might be better. And so when I talk about being collaborative director, what I like to do is I like to make sure that my actors know they have the freedom to play. I have a rough idea of what I want, blocking-wise, emotions, reactions, actions. But the reason I cast these people is because they bring so much to the table. And I want them to feel free to like be able to express and explore the characters well. And I want to be able to build the characterizations with them rather than just dictate what I want to see. And so I, I like to make sure they all feel like they're contributing something more than just being a body in the stage or just spouting off lines. Oh, that's great. It is hard to believe that next year marks 30 years since Sylvia was on Broadway with Sarah Jessica Parker as Sylvia. Has Sylvia kept up with the times? You've uh, invested in the script. A.R. Gurney and some others touted this as largely an immutable thing. It's, it's something you can't even criticize because it is a, a love story between a man and his dog. I would say that in very many ways, this is a timeless play. Now, it was pre-cell phones, so you're not going to see references to that or social media, of course, but you don't need that to have a story. Uh, and it being missing doesn't you know, make it stand out as being somewhere different or other. Some of the references, it does talk about late 20th century capitalism. Okay, so now we know where we are. But yeah, Greg has a line about the Cold War. I talk about, yeah, the Cold War's over, we've won, but what have we got? He's trying to find his place in the world as he talks to Sylvia. But he also has a a very, I think, typical patriarchal thing that he says to Sylvia after his wife has left angrily. And it's the line I look forward to delivering least every night. But it is who Greg is. He's a product of a man's world. And I'd like to think things have changed one hell of a lot, but in so many ways, it still hasn't. So mm -hmm. it's still as relevant that he says that line and the audience goes, ooh, and as I'm sure they did then. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting so. that that's still happening because I, I just chatted with Danielle Demeray about a chorus line yesterday and we had the exact same conversation about the fact that a chorus line is going to be 50 next year. Yeah. And it's still relevant and just as important today, the stories that are being told about these chorus line background dancers and the traumas that they went through are just as relevant today and happening just as frequently today as they were back then. And people are still people. People's relationships are still what they are. People still have dissatisfying jobs. They have new careers that divert their attention. They have broken communication. And all of those things are still as relevant and fresh today as ever. And that's the underpinning of this. It's also very funny. There's wonderful visual humor. There's wonderful verbal humor. The, the writing is spectacular. So to that end, what's something that the audiences might not catch or might not see that if somebody was listening to this and then came to see the show that they would catch that, they would get to see that. Watching a human actor, and Snijana is amazing as Sylvia, embody the energy and exuberance and the irrepressible behavior of a young Labradoodle bouncing so around. So she's a, a chosen to be a Labradoodle? It's, yes. it's mentioned in the script that I think she's part lab. I think she also might be part poodle. 
Yeah, because Sarah Jessica Parker was a labradoodle. There's others that have played. One of the ladies that played was a German Shepherd. <laughs> and, um, and yet, it, they do specifically mention those two breeds. Yeah. And even the groomer says she thinks she's basically poodle. Yeah. yeah. So if somebody chose to make it a different breed of dog i think that's a disservice to the writing potentially i I think that also like the reason why in the article that i read about why these performers have chosen to play a different animal a different dog was that they had a relationship an established relationship with that dog already in their past in their life so Ah. it was interesting to see that and how that came to play in the, the performance of the animal that's interesting as a dog owner dog lover and i've had a few dogs over the years and i've got two at home right now that are rescued so I really identify to the whole the idea of falling in love with a dog that you bring home. Yeah, uh, just out of the blue, and you don't know much about them. Is that none of my dogs have been poodles or labs, and it doesn't matter the love, the attention, the devotion that an animal gives to you that is so pure and honest is the same. So the breed is r- truly irrelevant. So for me, it was just A.R. Gurney's writing, and that's how he right. identified the dog. He had his own dog, and everything from this is all directly taken from his own life because he had a dog, the dog was named Lucy, his wife was named Molly, and the relationship between Molly and Lucy was not good, <laughs> while the relationship between A.R. Gurney and Lucy was ecstatic and loving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, If audiences... People that come to see the show, if they've never had a dog, there may be a lot that they miss. Only in terms of, uh, you know, we've spent so much time and then Snijana has done such a wonderful job. If you've had dogs or spent time around dogs, there's little dog quirks that you start to notice. Certain things, like uh, the dog that we have at home, Nugget. He is a German Shepherd, Mutt, Rescue, and... When we have, there's a bit in the show where, you know, the dog jumps up on the couch and Kate's trying to shoo the dog off the couch. And I was like, no, I want to block this like it's my dog at home. And we're trying to get Nugget off the couch. Nugget, move. He moves like a couple inches. No, move. My spot moves a couple more. Then he huffs and gets angry and he has like this. And then he jumps off and he sulks on the floor until he thinks you don't notice anymore. And then he jumps back up on the couch. (laughs) So like little things like that where you're trying to get the dog to move and he scooches a bit. They all have little quirks and personalities like the the huffy voice or moments where Kate's trying to talk to Sylvia and get her attention. And Sylvia's just completely staring off where Greg went to over to the kitchen and isn't paying attention. So there's little... Moments like that where if you haven't had a dog, you're, like Greg kind of says in the show, you're missing out. You don't know what you're missing. I like how the character of Sylvia is far more worldly and intelligent and is the catalyst for everything going right in the end Mm -hmm. for Greg and Kate. And, you know, we've talked about Snijana, but Laura, who's playing my wife Kate in the play, is fantastic. And this is her first time back on stage in 25 years. Oh, wow. First time in Calgary. She's been a flight attendant. She's been an RCMP officer. She's worked in in a number of different careers and brings a lot to the game in life experience and is a wonderful person to bounce off of on stage. And she's having a hell of a time being a person who doesn't want a dog in her life because she's a dog lover. So she had to find how she can inhabit Kate 
and still have it be an honest portrayal for her. And she and Sylvia do grow to understand each other in a in a very lovely detente sort of way. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been just a joy working together with everyone, and and Rowena, mm-hmm. who's came to the theater much later in life. She started out in South Pacific with FRC a few years ago. No, more than a few at this point. Yeah, and she, you know, as a as a lark went into audition and had no fear about it because, well, I'm not going to get this anyway. And next thing you know, she's in South Pacific and then she did something with Lunchbox Theater. And I think she said that after South Pacific, she said, well, that was my one thing. (laughs) (laughs) And she's still here. That's kind of how the community ends up working is people try it once or or twice and then they end up sticking around. And and she's doing one of A.R. Gurney's other lovely roles, which is a different kind of triple threat. She's playing three characters. She's playing Tom, the dog owner at that Greg meets at the dog park, who gives him terrible advice, the know-it-all dog owner, and also plays Phyllis, the New York society woman who's a friend of his wife, Kate, and plays Leslie, their androgynous therapist, when they're that's trying awesome. to get their marriage back together. And that's a wonderful triple role that can be played by a man or a woman. It's right in the script. It says, please, this should be played by one actor. That's yeah. great. I mean, it gives them something to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And, and divvy it up to one of the things I love so much about the Rowena's portrayal and just those three characters in general is the fact that that actor gets to play the person that is receiving all of the communication from Kate and from Greg, uh, b- being that when Rowena's playing Tom, it's Greg and Tom talking about his problems at the dog park and then it's kate and phyllis talking about kate's problems with sylvia and then leslie playing the therapist trying to help both of them communicate with each other it's a joy to watch her be the only person that gets communicated with when really it should be kate and greg talking to each other and it's like this person is like playing the middleman no pun intended (laughs) throughout the whole show until you two finally start to talk to each other Oh, that's yeah, Greg and Kate. So. so we talked a little bit about what's, what's joyful and what's been great about the show. What's been hard about putting this production up? <laughs> well, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, myself, the director, and our technical director slash stage manager, Thomas Hall, coming down with COVID right before load-in was really tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the last tough. week of rehearsals and, and load-in, uh, it was very difficult having yeah. them under so the weather. what did the rehearsals look like without the... Basically, the two shepherds. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got to the point we were down to the last couple of rehearsals. Right, so you're just doing runs. We worked with our ASM. We did runs. We talked among ourselves what was right, what was wrong. And we were comfortable with the show. And we were comfortable with who we were portraying at that point. So we knew mm-hmm. we could go ahead. My biggest fear was that we were going to move into the theater with no crew. And we are still struggling for crew. Yeah. Those rehearsals, those last few rehearsals are really the director's moments to add those final touches yeah. where yeah. there's a lot of that, that that can be really gleaned and finessed from moments. How did you find that coming back to it before the show went up? Were you able to get those final touches added? Did you have any input during those rehearsals? Generally, when I'm directing, what I try to do as much as possible, and it, it was difficult in this show just by virtue of me not being there for the final week. I've been involved in community theater in Calgary since 2005, but I've been involved in theater in general, either going to school for it or extracurricular schooling for it for over 30 years now. And this is the first time that I've missed that load-in hell week. Well, yeah, I mean, you would never. 
Yeah, like it's never happened before. And so it was extremely frustrating and, and very stressful. The final week usually is when you, yeah, it's the final touches and such, but it's also like the actors getting into the theater for the first time and they're putting on all the costumes and they're working with the blocking in the actual Right, so we're set. moving forward because then Saturday was your load in. Yeah. The Saturday was, you went out to go get all the Saturday stuff for the Saturday was supposed set. to be our load in yeah. and then um, there was miscommunication. The pump house thought that it was a typo on our forum that we were going to move in on the Saturday. Oh my God. And so we couldn't move in until the Sunday. What happened then for all the people you'd gathered for that Saturday? Probably driving up to the pump house on the Saturday. What happened? Yeah, just about. We had the... I mean, you weren't there, yeah. so... Yeah, so... Okay, I was, I was there. I got as far as... I got as far as the Scorpio location and people yeah. were arriving to meet me because we don't have big set. We don't have... No. You know, it was mostly pickup costumes and props. And we found out from Thomas, he said, we can't get in. He messaged me on my phone and said there had been miscommunication, there was huge apologies, and it was assumed to be a typo because everyone moves in on Sundays. Wow. But it wasn't a typo. It set us back for one day of being able to get things lights up and starting to work with sound and getting the, the risers up. Were there lots of lights to hang? Not many. Thomas had already arranged to pre-hang some of the lights because the theater hadn't been used. This is the first show in there this season. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's uh, booked for the rest of the season. Yay, Pompos. I'm glad for that. Yeah. We also got extremely lucky because the, a couple of our bigger set pieces were actually used in the Morpheus show prior for when they did the uh, It's a Wonderful Life radio play. Yeah. So a bunch of those set pieces, the Pump House had graciously uh, allowed us to store over Christmas until we loaded in. And we also got very lucky that what we were loading into and what we have to strike for at the end of the production is very minimal. Like the, the lighting setup that we have currently for Sylvia is also what's going to be like, that's going to be the same staging for the next show, which goes in, which is the peacock season for Morpheus. So they get to keep like the lighting grid and everything kind of in there. As They've asked is. us to leave the risers up. There's a lot of things we're not going to have to do at strike. Thank yeah, goodness. Cause so, we don't have a lot of bodies. Still. Yeah. That's, and, and thankfully we had the, uh, the minimal set already for the show and everything. But the biggest thing was like, was the actors, those finishing touches. And, and thankfully you guys had gelled so good as a cast before I got ill. Our biggest thing once we moved in was, was figuring out the differences and where our timing for entrances was going to be and then of course doing cue to cue but when it came to moving in huge props to sean anderson and volunteers from morpheus they did arrange two people with trucks that had to go and pick up a very bulky chair and love seat from the science center which uh, were graciously loaned to us oh that's wonderful and uh so yeah it was two people that had pickup trucks that could go pick up this furniture on that sunday and then on monday you begin your basically your tech set up and whatnot, but you don't have those people there. What happened then? Thomas was testing negative by that time. Oh, okay. That Monday was uh, his first time in. Okay. So it sounds like very much like Thomas is the one who infected you. Yeah. <laughs> Ted. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far. We're not too sure where it all came from, but I'm pretty sure Thomas and I picked it up from the same place. Well, probably oh, he's definitely testing that, negative before yeah. you are. Yeah. So absolutely. He, yeah. he got it before you. Well, yeah. He, he only tested positive for a few days. Oh, okay. Yeah. Whereas it, you had almost nine days, 10 days of it. Yeah. And that's was... been my experience with COVID. I've had it twice. And the one time I was like 14 days of testing yeah. positive and the next time was four. Wow. Yeah. So you never know. It's such a dangerous illness too as well yeah. mm -hmm. as you can yeah. 
as you're definitely experiencing with post-COVID fog. And yeah, that's kind of where I was at. So, I mean, uh, huge props to the cast for, uh, you know, stumbling through all of that ridiculousness of the director being sick and the TD as well. And huge props, huge. I can never thank that man enough, Thomas Hall, for uh, everything he did for this show. He has worn, I, I think, like nine or ten different hats. If you look on our program, yeah. we gave him all of his titles, and it's two lines in the bio of just the things he did. Is it just because you weren't able to find people to, yeah, to largely yeah, roll yeah. on? Yeah, that's a large we part of it. We looked for stage managers. We looked for assistant stage managers. We looked for somebody to do lighting design, sound design, to help with painting for you name it. And none of those people came forward. It's it, hard. It's Most really of those hard. people want to get paid nowadays. We didn't yeah. get set change crew until the day before opening. Stuart and I were talking on the way here that even like FRC was still looking for people and they're in show right now too. And we're hearing this from every community theater company in town that they're having more and more trouble getting volunteers to fill roles. And at the same time in this last year, we've seen new community theater companies being launched. Yeah. And I'm going, admire the desire to create new theater and create new opportunities to do different things, maybe have a different direction, maybe operate out of a different part of town. That's fantastic. Somebody doesn't want to have to drive all the way from the south end all the way to the far north end for rehearsals. Let's do something here. I think that's wonderful. Absolutely. And in years past, the volunteer attitude in Calgary was far more vital. I think since COVID, yeah. people have learned to stay in their homes and they are much less likely to be drawn out to something going, I have to be out of my home every night for the next three weeks. No, I don't want to do that but anymore. But we're finding success and a great deal of turnout for performers. Yeah. We're, we have a wealth yeah. of actors in Calgary. And that's one and of the And audiences reasons. are coming back. Absolutely. Big time. Big, yeah. And that's one of the reasons why we are seeing new companies form is because there are actors coming out for auditions that are not getting parts, not getting roles. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, you know, what we need to do is start our own company so that we can find those ways for those people to get an opportunity to be 100%. on stage too. 100% agree. But all of the technical people yeah. that we had leading up to COVID have turned their sights on getting paid to do this professionally or getting paid for this this component and to do these sorts of technical, well-skilled, trained things yeah, exactly. um, require either us to find a new way to look for people to do it or find a way to pay them. Yeah, I, and, I've, and I've, heard, I've heard this uh, from professional theater circles as well. And professional semi-pro theaters have also been having a lot of trouble because their technicians who were working 80 and 100 hour weeks prior to COVID, mm -hmm. then suddenly didn't have jobs, the film industry came back and they went, I can work those kind of hours and make three times the money, yep. or I can work on sets that some sets aren't as long, and I have my weekends off, and I like this better. This I have more 100 life. 100%, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, especially with COVID, after everything happened, Scorpio, we were originally doing Guards Guards years ago, Terry Pratchett, that I was directing. And we had to cancel because several of our cast got COVID and then there was the big resurgence. And this was back when the government was still mandating, like, come down with COVID, we'll 
help support you. You'll get like the $450 a week, whatever thing they were still doing that. But I think that it really threw into sharp relief that like if a lot of these theater professionals who, who want to get paid that their livelihood was disappearing. And so they had to either move or they had to shift into like film or into television or some other kind of industry. Or they just became carpenters or they became teachers or they found a job in sales that was steady and they worked an ordinary nine to five job and suddenly they could be with their families all the time. And they went, I can't believe I ever did that. Yeah. And I don't blame them at all. Like, you know, the issue I'm finding with community theater right now is definitely is the lack of the technical training and such and and people willing to come out and volunteer. And I don't blame anyone for that at all. Because I mean, especially the last few years, you got to get paid, man. Everybody's got to get paid. Our society, our community has not done a very good job of supporting those people and giving them the due credit that they Mm -hmm. deserve for the work that is involved. Your stage manager has to be at every rehearsal. Yeah. Your stage manager is the first one there for the show and the last one to leave. Yeah. And they very rarely get the credit that they are due yeah. for, um, the, for being the linchpin of the entire process. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I know that one thing that Thomas and I have had discussions about that Thomas is really passionate about wanting to do is to offer some like technical workshops and stuff for the community here in Calgary to get like more people trained up on being able to do like lighting design or sound design or technicians and audio techs and stage managers, assistant stage managers, costuming, that kind of thing. We want to offer that. And it's just part of building back up into a space where we'll be able to provide that kind of a service. Thomas has 20 years experience as a theater professional doing professional lighting design and everything technical you could imagine. He's professionally trained and has years and years of professional theater experience. And he brings a hell of a lot to Scorpio Theater. And we are blessed to have him on our board as president this year and as a real driving force behind keeping the lights on at Scorpio this last year and a half, two years, Mm -hmm. because we were just about completely gone. Mm -hmm. And we're still 12 to 15 months away from being able to breathe again, because that's when our next casino will be. Yeah. So yeah, we're still looking to do things for fundraising and that's teaching lighting design courses, teaching QLab courses are things that Thomas wants to bring that we can offer full two day, three day, 16 hour, 24 hour workshops where people get a really good education and for a very inexpensive dollar point. Yeah. That. I would hope there are people who do want to be excited about learning technical theater and maybe we can start bringing up a new generation of people to be those volunteers and reach out to high school drama programs mm-hmm. and who, who who's available to volunteer. I was in high school drama as an actor when I got the opportunity to work backstage in Edmonton at the Citadel Theater and I was at the Citadel that last year of high school as much as I was at high school. (laughs) So, and then I ended ended up working full time for the Citadel next year as a production assistant. So I know there's still people with passion that want to come out and do it. We just have to entice them, entice them, make sure that they know that we're welcoming. We want every new person to come out and play with us. Let's have fun. Mm -hmm. I have such respect for the crews every technical person backstage. I've done just about every one of the roles possible, perhaps other than costume design. So we're back to tech week 
and you don't have your director. Thomas is back though, I sound, it sounds like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How was that? Was there hardship in that, in getting your technical runs through and your dress rehearsal up and, and ready to go? What was the difficulty like there? And did you have, a, was a, somebody on a Zoom call? When I was in Pirates of Penzance, our director came down with COVID as well, and she tested positive for over three weeks. So she missed the last week and a half of rehearsals, and then she missed the entire idea of our load-in and she came with a mask and stood 20 feet away on opening night, but then had to leave because she still was sick uh, and she missed the first week of the show. So what we did then is I brought out my my laptop computer and my great cameras and my, my microphones and I set everything up so that she could experience the whole entire thing and zoom in. Were you connected to it at all? What happened for you? I've known Thomas for over 20 years now at this point. We went to UC together, taught by a lot of the same professors. And just by virtue of that, like we've been really good friends. We have this sort of almost like mental, like we don't really need to talk to each other kind of shorthand going on. So like in terms of like him knowing what I wanted out of the show and what I want it to look like and feel like and how I want the actors to portray that or or kind of get it across. He had a really good sense even before Lodian, like when we first started the show together back in uh, the end of October, beginning of November when we started after auditions to get into rehearsals. He had a very good idea already of what I wanted. Part of my thing I do every time I do a show is I do a director's analysis, which is just a document you just go through. It's like scene by scene, line by line. What are all the characters' wants, needs, desires? What do you envision for set, light, sound, that kind of thing? And so we'd already discussed a lot of that and gone through a lot of that book work and legwork together. So when I got pulled out, and this is why I cannot recommend the director's analysis enough for anyone who's going to be directing a show to get it done. It's the lifesaver. When you have a illness or some kind of emergency that ended up happening with our show here, where the director is taken out by COVID, whoever is left in charge, quote unquote, if that's the stage manager, ASM, whomever, but uh, that director's analysis and having gone through it and discussed with Thomas all the months leading up to the show, what I wanted, what we were looking for, what his thoughts were on sound and everything. I mean, I was worried because I wasn't there physically, but I knew that in terms of his technical acumen and making sure that all the technical stuff was trying to get taken care of for you guys to be able to do a show, I knew that would be fine for the most part. And I knew that he had a good handle on kind of like what sort of vibe and feel I wanted out of the show. God, it well, sounds like you just left and went to Cancun. Oh, well, yeah. And, yeah. And as, or as, without all of the awesome benefits of having left and gone to Cancun, it was just still more the stress and the fear of like, you know, because like you'd said before, like it's that last opportunity to provide right. any tweaks or yeah, anything you like didn't get that. that. And yeah. So in, in that way, in the, you know, we always hand over a show to the stage manager once it opens and they're the ones that are in charge of making sure that the performances as planned stay that way. And right. Don't, Everything's don't locked in. Very. Mm-hmm. And Thomas was that for us for that last section and he was working with some you know seasoned performers as well that you know we were given the trust that we had worked long enough and discussed our characters enough and knew at each moment what we were working toward i think helped everyone on the comfort level that we could make that work we just felt so bad for ted that he couldn't be there fair <laughs> to be able to go through those little changes with us figuring yeah. out okay so we're not going to do the set change quite the same way and figuring out what would be the easiest way to do it 
without having a crew of four people. But so much of it changes once you go into the space. Mm -hmm. Now you have that actual chair that you have had picked up, you've not even used before. So things change a little bit. Well, yeah. Luck luckily with this show being an almost no set show, right. we have no doors. Right. We have two chairs okay. uh, and a rolling chair and a desk that's connected to a flat. We walk off stage past curtains. Those are our entrances and exits. So it was more just the timing of this is when I have to get in and, and, and figuring out where sound cues are coming and understanding, you know, our quick changes. So it was our costume crew. They were under the gun and we were under the gun figuring, okay, what am I wearing in this scene and this scene and this scene? And Rowena plays three different characters, but she has forever to get changed from character to character. I think I have six quick changes in this show. Oh, wow. Which isn't, you know, a lot. A lot of people have a lot more than that, especially in musicals. And a four-hander play, six yeah. quick changes is pretty is pretty intense. Yeah and, yeah, and most of them are in the sort of 20-second range and you get back on. Wow. But yeah, I had uh, I had a lot of faith and and a lot of confidence in my actors. I just felt really bad because I knew like, you know, your director should be there for yeah. the load in and for those final tweaks. And so I felt really horrible abandoning you all. But so was Thomas was, reporting to you? Was yeah, he we you would notes? like, yeah, we would uh, like, well, because we also, uh, Thomas and I are roommates. So we actually live together. All yeah. right. So you really are just co-directing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At that Makes point, it, it was easier. kind of a co-direction sort of thing going so on. He'd had a lot of the same training, technical training uh, professors that I did. So we had to, like kind of a shorthand and a real easy kind of time of trying to coordinate that. But oh, that's great. It was still really tough because, yeah, like missing that final week. I don't think it's unfair to say that once like you guys loaded in and you guys after you got a couple performances under your belts, you know how traditionally once you get into a space, it changes the feel of the show because now you have the costumes and the set and everything to work with. And just that having to take an extra couple days after you guys opened up to kind of gel that all together as a cast. And just losing by, the day we lost. Yeah. So like having to like figure out how to, how to do the best you could <laughs> under a bad situation. But like, I think you guys have really hit a good stride and, yeah. uh, and you guys have really warmed into it now, but like, yeah, definitely those first couple days when we were first loading into the theater, I'm sure was extremely stressful for well, everyone. The biggest so. thing that we found, of course, you know, other than missing you terribly and, and not having that opportunity to work with you. And we talked about that all the time. We felt so bad for you being stuck, but the, the crew thing ended up being, we canceled our preview. Our invited preview got canceled. That was our first time to actually be able to do the show with two people who had just been trained that night on how the set changes work so that the timing of the set changes was 20 or 25 seconds instead of every set change comes along thomas has to stop leave what he's doing walk up move everything himself mm -hmm. and then go back and okay now we're going to start again so set changes on wednesday were a minute to two minutes and then the next day before opening they were at the 20 to 25 second spot they're supposed to be so that was our one chance to actually feel how much time we had before opening night and our opening was wonderful and our opening weekend performances were well attended mm -hmm. and getting tremendous feedback and reviews from our audience members telling us we should have been handing out tissues uh, <laughs> for the end of the show and um yeah. They're they're feeling all the feels and laughing all the laughs. So we well, are thrilled. 
Well, yeah. that's great because good art is supposed to change you on a fundamental level. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you see something, you should be impacted by it. How does Sylvia change a person in, in, the, in the witnessing of it? Getting to hear the audience react finally and laugh to the things that I've always found funny and hearing that reaction from the audience. Like, okay, good. Yes, it does resonate. I'm not just pulling it out of my butt that this is a funny moment or that this is a good bit to have in the show. For audiences, the one thing I hope that they come away with is that there's a lot of different kinds of love and you don't need to be afraid or concerned about it as much in some regards. I mean, the love that Greg has and the relationship that he has with Sylvia, and they discuss it in the show. It's kind of a, uh, you know, that the dog is kind of the medium through which he expresses some love. And it's just needing to learn how to communicate and to keep the communication going. So if nothing else, I hope they, you know, they come, they have a good time. They see a heartwarming show, remind themselves of like the love they had with their pets and their families. I think people can also come away with understanding that there are so many different kinds of love. And Greg talks about that, that, you know, I love you too, but in a different way. And it's not a way that Kate thinks is good at this time. Learning to live with loving a creature as well as your wife or you know being on like the other side of that, where that you're, love yeah. changes too love changes mm-hmm. and does that give you Stuart some opportunity there for your, your own bringing into the character of Greg and how your own loves have changed throughout your lifetime oh, I've been able to you know tap into so much of that and and dealing with loss and I mean Greg at the end of this play I have a, a difficult time the audience needs tissue I I need help talking at the end of the play. Yeah. It's a very emotional, but loving and heartwarming ending that everyone will feel and be moved by. And it's a very positive ending. It's a very uplifting, everything resolves in a very beautiful way. And I think that's something that I've always been looking for in my life. And I've experienced it on so many different levels. don't want to get into on this mm-hmm. podcast mm-hmm. fair but it's something that hope springs eternal and as long as you keep communication lines open there's so much beauty available to you i think that's what i'm getting out of it mm-hmm. that's wonderful live theater is an ephemeral art that exists for a very short period of time and a play like sylvia about love and companionship and all of the complexities of the relationships that come from those things is something that will only exist for a brief period of time with these four performers. You've heard a little bit about the hardship and how difficult it has been to make this dream of Stewart's (laughs) a reality with Ted and Thomas and everyone else involved in the creation of this show. It would behoove you, gentle listener, to find your way down to the Pump House Theater and see this show. There are two weeks or thereabout left in the run. It closes on January 27th, and there is not much better testament of love than to come and see Sylvia with someone you love. Thanks for listening.